Grant us now, Heavenly Father, we pray, the help of your Holy Spirit, without which we are not able to receive the word that you speak to us in Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Friends, I'm very conscious of preaching to you tonight on the 30th anniversary of the Hillsborough tragedy. Having moved from Liverpool to live in Sheffield, I've found this particular anniversary especially poignant. It was a privilege to be at the Memorial Garden in Hillsborough Park for a short service this afternoon and then briefly to join with other civic leaders including a former Lord Mayor of Liverpool, for a further commemoration at the stadium itself. My installation as Dean of Liverpool in 2012 came less than 48 hours after the Hillsborough Independent Panel, chaired by Bishop James Jones, had made public its findings in the city's Anglican Cathedral. It felt to me at the time, and still does, like some sort of a contemporary version of Jesus' parable of the persistent widow, of truth and justice finally coming to a group of people who had been denied it far too long. I was immensely proud that the cathedral was universally regarded in Liverpool as the most appropriate venue for that occasion. How good when the wider community senses that churches are places of healing and redemption. Meanwhile, it's now just over 18 months since I was installed as Bishop of Sheffield in this cathedral at a service which I remember frequently, vividly and gratefully. And I know many of you were here It astonishes me to think it is already over a year and a half ago. And I was going to say how time flies when you're enjoying yourself. (laughs) But I wasn't sure you would entirely believe me. Um, As a matter of fact, though, in spite of all the challenges and specifically in spite of the four-headed beast, I am very grateful to the Lord for calling me here and very grateful to all of you for your generous support. Anyway, throughout the last year and a half, I've made a conscious effort not to hark back to my previous ministry. I've tried hard not to refer too often to the role I was still in as recently as two years ago. I realize it could be extremely tiresome if every other sermon of mine included the refrain, when I was in Liverpool, so I hope you'll forgive me just this once. When I was in Liverpool, a vigorous commitment to evangelism, to the business of calling people to become Christians, to become followers of the Lord Jesus, went hand in hand with a vigorous commitment to social action, to the business of challenging inequality and promoting well-being for all. When I was in Liverpool, it was assumed that a joyful proclamation of salvation in the name of Jesus and 
a joyful solidarity with the needs of the most vulnerable were both and activities, not either or. In Liverpool, the confident preaching of the gospel on the one hand and the wholehearted service of the wider community on the other were barely separated out, let alone polarised. In fact, the present Bishop of Liverpool has a phrase which I wish I had coined. He says, we seek a bigger church to make a bigger difference. More people knowing Jesus, more justice in the world. There, I think that's all my references to Liverpool for 2019, now used up in one go. But if ever there is a passage in the Gospels which makes those twin points, bigger church, bigger difference, more Jesus, more justice, it's the one before us tonight. So this evening, as we gather as a diocesan family to receive again from the Lord the ministries he has entrusted to each one of us, I want to walk you through the Gospel reading, drawing your attention to what I take to be the twin hallmarks of the ministry of Christ Jesus himself and of the Christian church in every time and place. And I want to invite you to rededicate yourself to these twin hallmarks in the context of your own ministry as I do in mine. So turn back, if you would, to that reading from the Gospel of Luke. In the third gospel, this is really scene one in Jesus' public ministry. He has been baptized and has been preaching in the villages of Galilee to some acclaim, and he comes to his hometown on the Sabbath day. As usual, he attends the synagogue, where a key element in the worship on the holy day is the public reading of scripture. And for one such reading, perhaps less usually, Jesus volunteers. Luke tells the rest of the story with immense care and focus. We're invited to savour the image of Jesus unrolling that scroll, delivering the reading and then rolling up the scroll once again. And although the scroll of Isaiah is apparently not one Jesus has chosen, the implication is that once he has been given it, He does carefully choose the part of the scroll from which he reads, and he turns to those opening verses of Isaiah 61. In the light of the single-sentence sermon Jesus subsequently delivers, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What strikes me about this passage is how self-centered it sounds on the lips of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he says. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Actually, the Greek is arguably even more emphatic than our English translation. Literally, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me. Me, me, me. These days we use those words to indicate a particularly selfish person who thinks that the world revolves around them. And most of us wouldn't wish to be regarded as that self-absorbed. 
Isn't that exactly what the Christian faith sets its face against? And yet, and yet generation after generation of Christians have found those words on the lips of Jesus extraordinarily right, absolutely appropriate, on his lips beautiful, not ugly, they fit. But let's not gloss over what is going on here. When Jesus says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, he changes everything. What began as a routine act of Bible reading in the context of synagogue worship has become an announcement that in Jesus the reign of God has drawn near. In just eight words, Jesus not only declares the inauguration of God's coming kingdom, but claims for himself a pivotal position in it. In applying a messianic prophecy to himself, the Lord puts himself front and center of the good news. He's saying, I am the one, Isaiah foretold God's chosen one, the one anointed in the Spirit. And that is why Jesus' followers have sought to put him front and center ever since. For two millennia, we have tried faithfully to proclaim the good news of salvation in Jesus. This has been the first hallmark of Christian mission in every time and place. The Church of Christ has always sought to hold out Jesus confidently, generously, in the expectation that people will thus find grace to put their faith in him. And I hope that has been a hallmark of your ministry in the past 12 months and that it will be by God's grace in the course of the coming year. And I pray that as we put Jesus front and centre, we will be fruitful, each of us, in God's grace, in making new disciples of him. Where you are already doing that, in your one-to-one conversations and in inquirers' groups, in your evangelistic preaching, and in your attempts to develop a congregational culture of invitation, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to the gospel in season and out of season. So, yes, Jesus puts himself front and center by declaring himself to be the fulfillment of Isaiah's ancient prophecy. But it is one particular prophecy that he has chosen to quote, a prophecy which focuses unambiguously on what St. Luke calls the poor. That phrase has understandably gone out of favor in contemporary social policy because it can sound patronizing and demonizing even the poor. But again, let's not miss the point here. The prophecy from Isaiah, which Jesus has apparently chosen as his mission manifesto, is focused not just on the Lord's anointed, but secondly, also on the vulnerable. Listen to these words once again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And just by the way, that's a telling phrase right there, the year of the Lord's favour, the year of God's good pleasure. Most people don't think of God as being on their side 
or of themselves as being in God's good books. Yet Jesus came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, and you and I are called to do the same. But the year of the Lord's favour for whom? Especially for the poor, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. Now, obviously, there is no exclusive or pedantic literalism here. Even in Jesus' day, the gospel also gave new sight to those who were spiritually blind, and it liberated those who were captive to sin and guilt. And I'm guessing that, like me, you find it easy to read yourself into these verses. We are among the poor, the ones with empty hands, to whom the gospel of Jesus has come as good news. We are among the captives, the oppressed, imprisoned by our own weakness and frailty, to whom the gospel of Jesus has brought freedom and liberty. We are among the blind, who were blundering about in darkness, to whom the gospel of Jesus has brought light and sight. So yes, of course, it's okay to widen the interpretation of these groups beyond the literal. But let's not dismiss the literal application too hurriedly. After all, Isaiah's original prophecy was addressed to those who were literally captive, to Jewish exiles in Babylon, literally oppressed, or take Jesus' public ministry. Luke leaves no doubt that Jesus' miracles of healing did indeed give sight to those who are literally blind. So we must not spiritualize this passage too quickly. The good news of Jesus is certainly, especially good news for those who are literally, financially poor. It is especially good news for the most deprived communities in our diocese, in our nation, in our world. And that has always been the second hallmark of authentic Christian mission in seeking to serve our local communities, the Church of Jesus Christ has always sought to prioritise the needs of the most vulnerable. And I hope that has been a hallmark of your ministry in the past 12 months, and that it will be, by God's grace, in the course of the coming year too. And I pray that as we go out of our way to make solidarity with those who might, at least by market forces, be regarded as the last and the least, we will be fruitful so that by God's grace the needs of the most deprived are met. And where you are already doing so, in your food banks and your memory cafes, in your night shelters and your advice centres, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to the gospel in season and out of season. Heaven knows the needs of the most vulnerable are not going to be less acute across our diocese in the course of the next five years. So yes, I do long for our churches to grow bigger in the coming years. But I also long for our churches to grow poorer, demographically poorer, I mean. I pray that increasingly our churches will be regarded not as places of status and privilege, but as places where the last and the least are at home. I'm nearly finished. 
the twin hallmarks of Jesus' own ministry and of true Christian ministry in every time and place seem to me to be these. An emphasis on the one hand, on the Lord Jesus himself, as the one in whom the promises and purposes of God are fulfilled. And an emphasis on the other hand, on the poor, as those for whom, above all others, the promises and purposes of God are good news. It's precisely because those are truly the twin hallmarks of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, because they are the USP of the baptized people of God, the DNA profile of the body of Christ, that we can say with confidence and indeed are called to say with confidence, the Spirit of the Lord is upon us because he has anointed us to bring the good news of Jesus to the poor. He has sent us to proclaim release in him to the captives and recovery of sight in him to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and yes, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Dear friends, this evening as we gather around the Lord's table to rededicate ourselves afresh to his service, please, let's seek a bigger church to make a bigger difference, more people knowing Jesus, more justice in the world.